Welcome to Psychology Has It Backwards. This series will question the assumption that people are psychologically broken and need to be fixed. We will talk about how seeing people as innately healthy will change all of your interactions and outcomes. This is a true paradigm shift, and it simplifies the entire process of dealing with mental distress and allows for more profound and immediate changes. Hi, this is Judy Sedgman, and welcome back to Psychology Has It Backwards. I'm here with Christine Heath, and today we're going to talk about why Psychology Has It Backwards is more than just a catchy title to us. When we first started making these podcasts, people liked our title. It's kind of unforgettable, and they could find it and remember it. And I don't know that uh, they realize that we we really mean it. Um, And when we really thought about it after so many years of working in the principles, you know, four decades about, uh, the thing that has kept us just totally jazzed and excited about what we do and totally committed to it is that it is a completely unique approach from what where the field was when we both started that will turn psychology around at some point we really believe this the field of psychology and psychiatry boost bolstered i think by the neurosciences and research that's going on in uh, related fields is going to start to realize that we've had it wrong in the past and that a lot of the things that that have been done were done innocently because they was what occurred to people at the time and what made sense in a world in which people actually believed that uh, the, that the, the, uh, the things that happened to us, the things that we saw, the things that came into our lives, the way people treated us, the uh, experiences that we had were the determining factors of our, our mental well-being. And that once people struggled with mental well-being, that mental illness was kind of a, uh, it was like a low-grade chronic illness that people didn't really recover from it. That something would go wrong in your in in your mind somehow, and you'd be uh, mentally ill, and you you would always have to sort of cope with that, or work around it, or come through it. But it would it was always sort of lingering. It's sort of like you know a, a virus that never leaves your system, and so people would get into this. Um, you know, oh, poor so-and-so, she had such a terrible childhood and so many terrible things happened to her and it really scarred her for life. And, you know, she's doing the best she can and with medication and a lot of therapy, you know, she gets by. But it's almost like it was creating the sense that things could happen to us that would, would completely alter the path of our life. And what we're talking about is exactly the opposite of that. And I think it's important to really stress this point that um, nothing can happen to us but that we think about it and how we think about it will determine how it affects us after it happens. So I'm not saying, oh, gosh, you know, the most terrible things in the world could happen to somebody and they could just laugh their way through it. That's not the point. People have terrible traumatic experiences. People have terrible things that happen to them. People have... Uh, you know, influences in their life that are very disturbing. But once 
those things have happened and they're no longer present in the moment, the effect that they have on us is completely relevant, is completely determined by the way we use our thinking about them, how much we think about them, the state of mind that we're in when we're thinking about them, how much uh, time and space we give them in our minds, um, how, how much we, uh, you know, care with, so that they take the foreground and also the extent to which we understand the role of our own thinking and that we have a choice about how we use our thinking and that we have the and that we have and that we have the ability uh, to let things go put them in perspective to peace with them uh, leave them behind and these are all um, factors that were never considered in at least initially when we started out in this and the idea was that boy once it's happened you just got to deal with it and it's it's always going to be somewhere and lurking around waiting to jump out and grab you again so I I really mean uh, and in Chris and I've talked about this a lot that when you start to see value and the beauty of the principles in your life, you start to realize, wow, I'm in charge of me. I get to decide how, how, much, I, how much time and space I want to give to what kinds of thinking. I can see my past any way I want to, or I can just set, you know, close the book and put it high on the shelf and know it's up there, but not pay much attention to it. And th- this is an amazingly freeing understanding. It sets people free from the prison of their own thoughts. You know, it's, um, it's really interesting how, you know, when you think about it, psychology kind of looked at people as suffering, right? Mm-hmm. And they looked at how badly they were feeling and people would be talking about things in their life that hurt them, that traumatized them, that were um, uh, scary kinds of things. And that's what people would talk about. So it's, it's natural that we would have, without this understanding of the principles, have come to the conclusion that kind of analyzing what happened to a person would somehow allow them to intellectually process it in a way that would set them free. Because that's kind of the way that we're programmed to think about our life is to really um, um, be able to solve problems. You know, it's kind of like, that's what our processing is there for. I mean, it's kind of a really a unique and a beautiful characteristic of mind of the energy of life that we can use this thing called thought, which is a formless energy. Like thoughts aren't real. You can't feel, you can't touch them, but yet we all know that we think. And so it's looking at um, what we got caught up in, in psychology was really looking at the content of what people were talking about. And so that's like, oh, that must be what's causing this kind of thing. But even that is based on the idea that people must be healthy because something outside of them would cause them to have distress, right? So we didn't really realize that what we were talking about, that we didn't know, like I remember thinking when I first started, like I just wanted people to see that they could be okay in spite of what happened to them. 
but I didn't even know what okay was. You know, like to this day, there are not classes in graduate programs about what mental well-being is. We have lots of classes now on thought and how thought works and how thought creates feeling, blah, 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 blah. But it's really seeing the spiritual nature of thought, that it's not uh, tangible, that it's illusionary, and it changes with your moods, that, that this understanding of the principles helps us to see how thought works instead of focusing on what we create in thought. That's a huge difference from where psychology was at. And what happens when people see that is that they they get out of trying to process it. Otherwise, when people understand it's thoughts, this is my thought, I'm thinking about this, and they try to change their thinking, and and, and they just get more <coughs> caught up in thinking about their thinking. So I think it's natural that psychology kind of went off into the product, like looking at what people create in terms of their emotional experience, you know, their feelings, their emotional reactivity, you know, whether you beat somebody up when you're upset or we're looking at these things and saying like, okay, this person's not functioning, right? Why is that? So we looked at what the causes were, like what happened to the person in their life and how did that, how did that get into their thinking basically? And, and so that made sense from that perspective. But what's interesting about that to me is that it's really seeing that people must be healthy first or these experiences wouldn't have that kind of effect, right? So yeah. instead of focusing on the experience and how that affected a person, we need to be looking at the fact that we have this innate health in us. And that's what we want to increase and understand how that works. And then the thinking changes automatically. Now, that's a huge difference. Yeah, it, it, it's especially um, I think important, or at least I've seen with clients that I work with, to to see that thinking is a power. Thinking is a gift. Thinking is a spiritual force. And the act of thinking is something that we can do, that we are constantly creating new thoughts. And that our thoughts look real to us because we become conscious of the thoughts that we think. We become aware of them and they take form and it looks like our reality in our in our imagination basically because there's still no uh tangible thoughts not a tangible thing but the thinking that we're doing sort of is like if life was a coloring book uh the thinking is what colors our coloring book so you know if i have a scene and i'm looking out the window and my thinking is i'm in a low mood and i'm in a bad state of state of mind and i've got a lot of negative stuff on my mind i'm going to pick the gray crayon and the deep purple crayon and the you know and all the kind of gloomy colors and color my coloring book and if i am waking up with in a sunny mood i'm going to pick different colors and that's essentially how we use our own thinking we can use it against ourselves innocently and we can use it to kind of help ourselves move ahead and the, the flexibility of that and the creativity of it and the fact that people can think anything, um, it's, just, and it's just an incredible discovery when people see it for themselves. And, and I think that that's, you know, that's what was missing before. It's like, oh, you're stuck with it once you like, it's like, I always tell people in my groups, you know, it's like, think of it this way. We all know the practical truth that if you bake a cookie and it doesn't taste good, you bake a batch and you taste the first one and it's too salty or it's got something in it that shouldn't be there and it just doesn't taste good, you don't try to take the cookie apart 
and say, well, I'm going to get these ingredients back now and I'm going to rework them and make this cookie better. You just throw the damn things away. (laughs) And when you throw them away, you say, okay, I'm going to bake a new batch of cookies now and I'm going to see if I can do better. And essentially, that's what we're doing with our own thinking when we're in a healthy state of mind. You know, if we start bringing ourselves down with our own thinking and the batch is not working out, we just throw it away. We say, okay, I'm not going there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and we have that freedom to just take a breath, step mm-hmm. back, let our minds quiet down and think again. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's something that I noticed when I first got involved in this. And, I, and when I first got involved in it, I really wasn't a psychologist. I was a business person, but I had a medical practice management business. And one of the things I noticed, I had a few psychiatrists that were my clients, is that there, the offices, their offices were always kind of gloomy and the people would come out of the office crying. You know, there was tissue everywhere. And um, I never heard joy. You know, you never heard like happy sounds. And, uh, and I thought, gee, you know, what a depressing profession. <laughs> but I just believed it. I just was sitting there thinking, well, gosh, it's really sad, I guess, to be mentally ill because you're just sad all the time. And uh, that's the way it is. And, and that's, that's kind of how everybody was. You know, you just feel sorry for people instead of seeing that the human potential is way, way more than that, that we're never stuck with the thoughts we're thinking. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's two things with that. like. First of all, when I first started to learn the, about the principles, I shared a clinic with like nine other therapists in Minneapolis. It's called Park Place Clinic. And we all shared this giant waiting room where that used to be a dance hall for this r- r- lumber baron. Um, and we, so we each have these little small offices off of the, this giant room. And so you're right. People would come out of all of the, um, uh, rooms in, with Kleenexes and their eyes swollen and they'd be like talking about, you know, the awful things that were going on in their life. Well, then I changed. I mean, like I did a lot of groups then, so I had a lot of people in the room with me. I had six, eight people per group. And uh, when they would leave, well, while we we're in session, we would be laughing. Like immediately when I switched over, when I changed my perspective, immediately like over a weekend, it was like a different therapist came in. So they stopped crying, first of all. They stopped suffering and they started laughing and we started laughing at each other. We started laughing at our own um, uh, ways that we would get caught up in our thinking and immediately there was relief, immediately. It wasn't like it took a couple of weeks. I mean, what, what, honestly, some people had a little harder time with it, but 90% of the people that were in those groups changed immediately. So now... There's peals of laughter coming out of the out of the therapy room. So my colleagues literally took me aside and said, "Look, Chris, I don't. We don't know what you're doing." Now they all went to the same training I did, but they did not hear anything. They didn't see it, and so yeah. they saw me change. And first of all, they thought it was a little nutty anyway because I was kind of nutty, and and then they saw me change and they got freaked out by that. They had never seen a human being change that much by going to any kind of a conference. Right. So they couldn't understand it. So they thought I was on drugs. I met a man or (laughs) joined a cult. Those are the only only reference points they had for someone changing that much. So when my clients started laughing and their their clients would come to them and saying, hey, what kind of therapy is she doing? 
Well, they got more insecure about that. Like, what am I doing that, that they're not doing? What am I doing that's, that's different? Mm-hmm. And so they took me aside and they said, Chris, we don't know what you're doing. It's really strange. I said, look, you guys, I used to have people get angry and beat pillows and talk about their negative emotions. And you gotta, you gotta understand that what I'm doing now has gotta be better than that, right? I said, you can see I'm in a better state of mind, can't you? Wouldn't I be doing better therapy then? But honestly, it didn't matter because they were so insecure, they couldn't see it, really. They couldn't awaken to it. So what happened is we ended up having to set up a different clinic that was just based on this because the resistance of the other psychologists at the time in the clinic was so great that I didn't want to cause more negativity. I didn't want to cause more insecurity with people but that's what got him was too much laughing you know too much too much happiness it was like whoa what is this yeah and and, you know the interesting part of that is that when people um like when i work with clients and they start going back into their past and when once you do that i mean actually there there were back in the day there used to be these many many kinds of life training organizations like Aston Lifespring and Forum and all those places. And they, they actually developed exercises that deliberately took people into negative experiences in their past. And people would be, you know, screaming and crying and throwing up and suffering. And then they would gradually bring them out of it, you know, just by talking, the, the trainer would be up there saying, you know, but really your mom did the best she could or whatever they would say. And, music would get nicer and people would calm down and then they would feel better. And they really thought that they felt better. You know, <laughs> in other words, they would leave the training and say, man, that was powerful. I feel so much better. But really the only reason they felt better was because they made them feel worse by taking them back into the past. That's and right. whatever, you, whatever you're thinking about is what you experience. That's they right. you know, they kind of knew that, but they didn't own up to it. So People would say, oh, I really, you know, it's great. I, I just feel so much better now that I've been through that. But, you know, if they thought about it again, they'd go through it again because there was no understanding behind it. Right. And one of the things that I realized, excuse me, let me just finish one thought. One of the things I realized is the understanding is what gives people the freedom to be in charge of that process, not to be the sort of the happy recipient of when it works out. Yeah, and I think the other thing, too, that's really um, different is that what we're focusing on in treatment is mental well-being. Right. Like, I think I think the rest of the field thinks that that's the, hopefully, you know, like part of the outcome anyway, at least people would be able to manage their mental illness. Right. But, but the idea of actually being mentally healthy, no matter what, that's a novel idea. There's not, there's not another uh, field of uh, study that really, really sees that happen. They might want it to happen, but they don't see it. So people get hopeless. And that was the second point I was going to make before is that the effect of focusing on trying to fix what's already been created, like focusing on the content of thought and the trauma and all the negativity is the, the impact for the provider is burnout. Mm-hmm. So people end up, psych- psychologists, psych- therapists end up going to the hospital because they get so burned out because their work is so stressful. Well, there should be like, oh, hello, maybe there's something we're doing that's causing this stress to the provider. 
But it never occurred to me that it was just because, oh, my God, this is terrible. And these this is what I have to do to connect with people on this level of pain and suffering to help them. And I got to pull them out of it. And, you know, it's um, it's just um, uh, or at best, you're you're neutral about it. You're like a cognitive therapist and you're just talking about changing thoughts and everything's kind of like neutral in a sense. It's not uplifting. It's not engaging. There's not like this awareness or this great feeling that happens. You know, that's kind of what is the other thing that's really profoundly different about this is we're really looking for people to experience mental well-being, not just understand why they're not in it. Yeah, that's, and that's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to have those moments. Sometimes, I, you know, I sit there with clients when they suddenly, they'll have an insight or something will occur to them that they've been missing and they, and they get a sense of relief and it's like watching flowers bloom. Mm-hmm. I just love that. And when those things happen, and they do, I mean, they, they will because it's natural to us. As soon as our head clears and we start living from our own insights, we just, it's uplifting and our spirits rise and our, you know, we get into this lovely feeling. And being able to explain to people that that's our natural gift, that feeling belongs to you. I didn't make that feeling. You know, I may have discouraged you from going the other way, you know, by kind of avoiding talking about certain things. But once you have start having insights, the feeling belongs to you. Mm-hmm. And that's your natural gift that for the rest of your life, you can find that mental well-being when you look for it. Mm-hmm. And that's why we're different, because our whole goal is for people to have a happy life, mm-hmm. to be at peace with, with whatever's going on in their life to find their own resilience and the strength to deal with things. Yeah. If you think about it, you know, it's kind of like what happens to people is traumatic, you know, but um, for them in that moment, but it's really what they make of that as they go through time that creates the long-term effect of it. Right. You know, it's kind of like if, if you're thinking about something as, oh my gosh, my past created my suffering. Okay. Like this event, I got raped, uh, you know, I got beat up. I was in a car crash, whatever it was that happened to you. It's like you get, uh, you think that that's the cause of your suffering. Well, if that's the cause and you've got to fix the cause, you're stuck. You're, it's hopeless. There's no way to go back in the past and fix that. Right. Right. But if people see that, and it does the other thing it does is it also makes you then worry about what's coming next because you can be traumatized and be worse. You know, it's like, oh my God, now I gotta like really worry about what's gonna happen because the past created this. Now if something else happens, it's gonna like add on to it. Right. Yeah. And so but by helping people to see that they have innate health and that that the content of their thinking, the quality of their thinking is just from the state of mind they're in, then they can never mind it. It's like, oh, it's just my thinking. This isn't like my life. I'm not going to be locked in this moment of terror for the rest of my life. And I don't have to be wary and on alert to see what's coming next because I'll be adding on to the trauma. So that, I mean, it's just kind of interesting that looking at what we create, whether it's emotions or behaviors or reactions or whatever it is, that's like too late already. Like, why look at that? It's already happened. It's already going out. But if you can see how it works, you understand why you're thinking about it. 
mm-hmm. why it's coming back like a flashback, you know, like what's happening with you. Right. And once you get that, then you go back to your health and your health automatically fixes it. You don't have to do it. Right. Now, that's very different. Yes, it is very different. And, uh, you know, I realize that our time is up for, for this podcast, but we'll, we're going to do some more. I'm not done explaining to you why psychology has had it backwards. And uh, so we'll see you next week. But thanks very much for listening and looking forward to our next one. See you next week. Aloha. We hope you heard something new and that you will continue to join us to challenge the prevailing thinking about the possibilities for health in everyone. To subscribe to the podcast, visit our website at psychologyhasitbackwards.com.